And in this season two in the book of Mark, I get the privilege of taking the series into episode four. So I'm calling the message, I think it's going up behind me, the perfect storm. You can barely see the picture, but did you see the movie with the same name? The year 2000, can you believe 23 years ago, that movie came out starring George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and a cast of others. Um, and it's, a, it's what they actually call a disaster drama film. It's not the kind of thing you sit down on a first date and get all kissy with each other, you know. It's not that kind of story. It's based on a true story of the Andrea Gale up in New England. Uh, I think it's a uh, sword fishing vessel that had a horrible year of fishing and the captain decides, I'm going to take out for one last expedition. We've got to save this thing. And in the middle of that expedition, two storms converge and create this thing with this supercell that they get caught right in the middle and it was dubbed the perfect storm. Which, as you watch it, you get, you know, you get all upset because you wonder as it unfolds, they all get lost. Every one of them, never found again. And I'm watching this thing and I'm wondering, why in the world did they name it the perfect storm? Storm, And it's because of the way it formed and the way it happened and, and the, the front that caused this devastation and this tragedy. And you go, wow, that's incredible. And in the book of Mark, chapter 4, here's what happens. There's a convergence taking place on the Sea of Galilee. A perfect storm is created. And the result is different this time. This is when the disciples find themselves caught in this thing that's a perfect storm. It should have taken them out. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we're going to go there in a minute, and you can get your Bible and turn there. The heading in my Bible is Jesus calms the storm. Probably heard it at Sunday school if you ever heard those stories. Jesus is the one who can calm your storms. And, and rightfully so, it's true. But I believe there's far more to this story than, than just Jesus stilling the waves and the wind. There's a lot more. Remember all the way back to the beginning of the series, chapter four, verses one and two, Jesus is teaching the crowd, they're so big, he has to get in a boat, get pushed out from shore. And it says in verse one, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And we've seen this. The teaching of Jesus happening by parables. And we heard in the last two parables, great sermons on how he focused his teaching on the kingdom of God. Verse 30 says, what shall we say the kingdom is like? How do you describe this thing? Focusing his teaching on this kingdom. So up to this point in his teaching, it's been about instruction. Let me teach you about the kingdom. I'm going to instruct you about the kingdom. This is what it's like. But now in verse 35, there is a distinct shift. He just shifts into high gear and does something totally different. Instead of bringing instruction, he now says, I'm going to bring demonstration. I'm not just going to tell you what the kingdom of God is like. I'm going to show you what it's like. And this is what this story is about. Remember, Mark is writing to Christians in Rome. Short power gospel. Mark wanted to show them this is a church under fire. These are Christians facing storms. So Mark wants to show his readers, hey, listen, I want you to see who Jesus is, what he can do. He is powerful. And he enters these stories on this. 
few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago at our table space, <clears throat> men's table space. Matt had been coming along with uh, Graham, Dan, Clint. Where's Clint? How come you're quiet? You're never quiet at table space. <laughs> like Janet said on the way, I said, oh, there he is. He's next to the coffee cart. That's probably his third. And she said, yeah, that's why he's got so much energy. He's a gun. So they've been bringing Matt along. Matt's been for months watching, listening, asking a few questions. And a few weeks ago, right at the end of the night, I'm ready to shut down, go in and finish up. Matt goes, so how do you do it? They do what? How do you give your life to Christ? He said, I wanted to do it Sunday, but it didn't happen. So how do you do it? So Clint's ready to jump on him straight away. Now, now, now. You know, so Matt gave his life. Stand up, Matt. Welcome, Matt, to the family. Awesome. Now, the reason I'm, stay there. The reason I'm telling you this story, after he gave his life to Christ, I said, don't start reading your Bible at the beginning. Get a Bible and start reading the book of Mark. Two weeks later, he comes in and goes, whoa, he was a powerful guy. And I said, yeah, he was. He was pretty good, hey? And uh, so Tuesday night, Pastor Darren, Pastor Nate, and I are going to be at our table space, and we're baptizing Matt uh, on Tuesday night. When he came to a group a couple of weeks ago, and he's got all this, he's not, he's not looking at the book of Mark and going, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Like a lot of Christians do after a few years. He's going, wow, look at that, look at this, look at that, what did that do? You know, just in awe of this Jesus. And I want to say something before we jump into the text about Jesus calming the storm. Let's bring this to where we live right now. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now. It could be financial. Might be physical, perhaps it's mental or even spiritual. And even if you're not in a storm now, I got good news for you. It's coming. Yeah, bring the good news, Keith, and I Nate will do that next week. You're going to find yourself in a storm at some time or another. Jesus said, In this world, you will have troubles. In other words, you're going to face storms, but take heart, I've overcome them. So down to verse 35. Here we go. One verse, two verses, and then we'll stop and unpack it, as we do. Verse 35, that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. Watch this line, it's not a throwaway line. There were also other boats with him. The other gospel writers don't mention them. Mark's not just throwing something out there to fill up space. Mark is a guy that says little, not much. So when he says something, it means something big. What's he talking about other boats with him? The deal is this. When Jesus sends you out somewhere and you have an encounter coming, there will be others who are along with you and who will follow you and who will benefit from what you receive, who will help you face what you face. You're not alone. You're not alone. So I only got two points today. After two and a half years, that's all I could come up with. Oh, don't you worry, they're long points. I got two and a half years worth here. So here's the first one. The perfect storm is a place where there's a convergence of the natural and the supernatural. Hmm. See, while this story is about a squall that naturally happens on the Sea of Galilee, and by the way, that still happens today. If you went to the Middle East, you went to the Sea of Galilee, you would see signs that say, just beware, be ready. 
it could be danger, high winds and storms arise in the late afternoon. Still to this day. But there's far more going on here. But storms naturally take place in this area. Storms naturally happen in life. It's not a matter of if we find ourselves in a storm, but when we find ourselves in a storm. I love what the great commentator Paul Harvey said, in times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. We're not the first, we won't be the last, and we're not alone. And even if we do go through one, that doesn't mean that's the end. There's more. But here's the deal. I don't think I would be stretching a longbow in saying that Jesus knew he, what he was leading his disciples into. He knew ahead. I know what's going to happen. He knew that storms were possible in the late afternoon, even naturally. And still he says, yeah, let's go that way. I can imagine the four fishermen just reminded us of the fishing. The four fishermen, I can imagine them thinking, hey, you're a good teacher, but remember, you're a carpenter. You're kind of used to working on dry land. You're, you're not a fisherman. Do you know what can happen on the sea at the late afternoon? Yeah, now push off. You know, following Jesus and being a disciple can be like that at times. It's like he calls us to live a life that's sometimes going to put us right out there where a storm's going to happen. And you go, hey, Jesus, I know you want us to be generous right now. You want us to give. But do you understand the financial pressures happening in our world? Do you understand there's a storm ahead? Yeah, I know. Now push off. Give. Hey, Jesus, I just got my medical report and it doesn't look favorable. Yeah, I know. Just push away from the crowd, push away from the safe place, follow me, trust me. Because here's the deal, if we stay on the shore, the place where it's safe and comfortable, the place where the crowd is at, we could miss the opportunity of a miracle. And Jesus calls us to push away from the crowd, the popular place, follow him. This is where the supernatural converges with the natural and the kingdom of God breaks in. And it's in this place, in this time of storms that you're facing, there's a distinct, I mean a distinct probability. You're going to experience something about Jesus that you have never seen before. It's true. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There's always something. There is both a revelation and an experience here. And this is what happened to the disciples. Watch how it unfolds. Verse 37. <clears throat> a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. That's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. In the original language, this is a forceful command. He's not going, shush, please, uh, stop, now. The wind died down. It was completely calm. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After everything you have seen and heard, are you still struggling to believe? I remember hearing Carlos Anacandia in Argentina years ago. Businessman, not a preacher. 
he was reading the book of Mark. And he saw at the end where Jesus said, those who believe me will do these things. And he said, Lord, I believe in you. Why don't I see these things happening in my life? And the Lord said, that's the problem, Carlos. You believe in me. You don't believe me. There's a difference. There's a difference. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind, the waves obey him. We've seen sickness go and demons flee and he can do these unrealistic miracles, but what is this? Creation is obeying him. It's significant. But here's the second point. Just the last one. We'll be done in about an hour. The perfect storm is a place where there is the convergence of trust and authority. You see, it's nice to stay in a place where we get instruction after instruction, feed me, teach me, wherever, learning, a place where we might see Jesus do something and we go, wow. But Mark, why in the world do you have to ruin a good story by showing the fear and the lack of faith in the disciples. Surely they should have gone, yeah, we knew all along, you're the man, you could do it. That's the way I would have wrote it. Because the reality is Mark is showing us what can happen to all of us when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. I can't speak for you, but I battle fear. Isn't that interesting for somebody whose name means brave? Well, at least it's not a painful one like the guy in the Old Testament. But see, the deal is this. Storms often reveal the trust meter. Where is our level of faith at? And I know I need to constantly grow in trusting Jesus. Even though I've been walking with him for nearly 49 years. That sounds specky, doesn't it? Half a century. No, it sounds old. Anyway. Yesterday's faith is not enough for today's challenge. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Not did you have faith, but are you in the faith? Right now, exercising faith. How much are we willing to trust him? How far are we willing to go? Are we ready to push away from the familiar and the comfortable and get out there where a storm could happen? Knowing it's coming. Well, I have a confession to make. It's confession time. So I'm going to be very real, if that's all right. No plastic, no pretend, no kind of preaching voice. It would sound horrible anyway. I got a confession to make. When we headed the church to Nate and Rach two and a half years ago, it was the right thing. We knew it. It was time to step out of leading. We'd been leading for over four decades. Like, yeah, I've had enough. And we were going to make ourselves available for ministry in a new kind of way, different way that we didn't even know. But what caught us by surprise and what entailed was leaving a comfortable, secure, nice paying job to a place where there was no regular income, no security. Like, where's the next thing coming from? And because I grew up in a background where finance was scarce, single mom's home, where the bill, how the bill's going to get paid, I thought the way to fix this, you know, my mind is set. The way to fix this is to work hard, long hours. I can do that. Even if it means 
cleaning floors, scrubbing toilets. I have done that before just to get myself through. And, and while I'm not afraid of hard work, it's like God said, you're not going to fix it this time. Um, I, I, I need to show you something new about me in this season that you just cannot see right now. There's a revelation. There's an experience. Something about trusting him. And, I, and I'm, I'm honest with you. There have been times recently. Here's the truth. I go to press the tithe button. And I go, oh, oh God. I, I know I told the church for 40-something years they got a tithe. And I know I've tithed for nearly 50 years. But come on, right now, I need this more than you do. You know what I'm facing. This isn't easy. I don't know how the next bills are getting paid. All right. Every time I press the button. I, you think I'd be smart enough to know now? Like even the other day I'm going, ooh. Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> Got to press it. I press the button. Bang. God provides. Every time. Do I like that? Heck no. Why do you have to wait till the 11th hour? And here's the deal. When Nate preached on the sower and the seed a few weeks ago, this is revelation, guys. He talked about thorns. And I went, ouch. Because I knew God said, there's a thorn from your past and your soul. And that's what stops you from trusting me as your father who owned the cattle on a thousand hills. I didn't ask you to go tend the cattle and to groom the hills. I told you to trust me. That thorn was there. Because I battled with fear because of that thorn. But every time I give, bang, it's like I'm going, I'm not giving in to fear. God is faithful. And I know what the disciples must have felt. You can hear the fear in the voices of the disciples. Look at the language they use. It's not just fear, it's a rebuke. Verse 38. I'm using the Nate's learning translation here. <laughs> I'd say that because he gets on to me about the NIV. I, I actually use the, never mind. Anyway. <clears throat> Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. You know what that says to me? God is very comfortable in the middle of our storms. <laughs> I'm glad he is because I ain't resting. Anyway, the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? This is a question a lot of us ask when things are against us. And it seems like, God, are you asleep? Don't you care? Why aren't you doing something? Just... Give me the reins. I'll do something. And even though the disciples, man, they'd been traveling with him for a year and a half now. He has already appointed them as apostles and given them authority. And they're crippled by fear. Verse 39. Because the deal is this, guys. The opposite of faith isn't just doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear cripples me from being able to believe. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. Silence, be still. I told you that was a command, but let me tell you another thing about the language. The literal wording he uses are the exact same words he uses when he says to a demon, be quiet and get out of him. There's something demonic about this. And he knew this. All the disciples thought was, yeah, this is just natural. He goes, no, uh, uh, there's more. Because the enemy comes to kill and to destroy he wants to destroy your faith. 
He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your finances, everything about you. But Jesus stomps his foot and says, quiet, shut up, get out. You see, Mark didn't record this narrative just to impress us with Jesus' ability. That was, it was spectacular. There's far more to this story than the event itself. It's found in their question, and I'm going to read this in the, the uh, Passion Translation. But they were overwhelmed with fear and awe. That doesn't mean they were afraid of him. It means they were awestruck by him. <gasps> Who is this? That's their question. Who is this man? We thought he was a healer, a teacher, a good religious leader. But even creation obeys him. And we don't get it. But for a good Jew, they understood that. That God and God alone has authority over creation. I like what Grasmick says in his commentary in Stilling the Storm. Jesus assumed the authority exercised only by God in the Old Testament. They were good Jewish boys. They knew what the Old Testament said. In, in Psalm 89, 8 and 9, O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. Watch this. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. Psalm chapter 104, verses 6 to 9, You clothe the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose, valleys sank to the, level, to the level you said, you decreed. Then you set a boundary. In other words, God says to creation, stop. You're not going to do this again. Only God has that ability. Not another man, not a religious leader, not a self-proclaimed Messiah, but God himself. And they're, they're all struck. We are in the boat with God. God is in my storm. This is the revelation. God himself is in the middle of my storm. But here's the experience. He's not just in the middle. He's now working for me in my storm. I don't have to work hard to get through the storm. I have to trust him who controls the storm. This isn't a mere man. He's the Lord of creation. Paul writes in Colossians 1. I don't have this on the screen. Just listen. For by him, all things were created. Oh, we do have it on the screen. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or everything, created and unseen. All things were created by him and for him and before all things. And in him, he holds them together. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at his voice, they will be stilled. You need to take note. The disciples trusting him was challenged to go to a new level, new level. He's not just a healer. I know you need healing, but he's more. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a great teacher. Trust him as the Lord of creation, heaven and earth. He's with you. He's with you. So here's something I want to put on the screen for you. When you're in a storm, the most important question is not why or how or even what are you going to do about this, but the most important question we need to ask is who? Who's here with me? Who's going to take me through the storm? Who can cause good things to happen in the storm and even because of the storm? Who can bring calm to my storm? Who is this Jesus to you today? 
my friend. Absolutely. He's my counselor. Yes. He's my savior. Certainly. But he is my Lord and God. Yes and amen. You know, there's purpose in a storm. Did you know that? I told you, Jesus led them into it. He knew what was coming. It's like, I can imagine deep inside him, he's going, hey, they got no idea. It's coming. But there's a purpose. The enemy's purpose is to destroy, but God will use it to display his authority and to build our faith. He'll use it to get us, listen, he'll use it to get you ready for the next storm. Just flip over two more chapters. The second storm comes. There's a big difference though, see, because storms do create opportunity. While this storm caused the disciples to know Jesus at a greater level, the next storm is going to cause them to do something for him and with him. Think about it. Because in this storm, he's with them. They get to see a miracle by him. In the next storm, he's not with them. And they get the opportunity to speak the miracle. Take note. No other person in history but Jesus Christ and Peter, Simon Peter, walked on the very thing that was storming against him. Walked on water. And it's like Jesus saying, I'm showing you what you can do. I tried to show you in the last one. Just stand up and speak to it. Walk on it. You can have victory over this because I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. So the first allows us to see it. The second allows us to participate in it. Because the deal is this. A storm is a training opportunity for future victories. I don't like it. God, couldn't you do it another way? Let me sit on the sidelines and eat s'mores or something. I'd be happy. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not so committed to your happiness. I'm more committed to your holiness. Hmm. Okay. So here's the deal today. Settle in your hearts who he is. He is the Lord over your storm. Know where he is. You have never and you never do have to face a storm alone. Not only is he with you, we are with you. Trust him. He will cause all things to work together for your good because he has authority to do that even in the middle of a storm. And lastly, exercise your God-given authority. Speak to the enemy in the storm and tell him he has no right to do this. He cannot destroy what God has created for good. 